The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Hello there, everybody. I am your host, Diane. And I'm your host, Kelly. We are dropping one of our bonus casts that we feature over at Patreon for our executive producers. We thought you'd enjoy this since we're coming up on Halloween. This is the life and afterlife of Lon Chaney. Enjoy! History Goes Bump, bonus cast. Hello, you spectacular executive producers. Welcome to History Goes Bump, bonus cast number 146. On this bonus cast, we're going to be talking about the life and afterlife of Lon Chaney. We're coming up on Halloween, and so I thought, what better than to talk about one of the icons of horror? Lon Chaney was born Leonidas Frank Chaney on April 1st, 1883. His parents were Frank and Emma Chaney, and both were deaf and mute. This fact is probably why Chaney did so well as an actor in silent movies, because he could pantomime anything in order to communicate with others, because he was so well practiced at doing it with his parents. So you can imagine when you can't use dialogue to get your point across because of the silent movies, he was able to get his point across pretty well with just the way that he would pantomime and fling himself around and such. He co-wrote a play with his brother called The Little Tycoon, and they took it on the road in 1901. So this is where he started getting his big break in acting, and he learned that he absolutely loved it. He'd been bitten, and he was going to stick with it for the rest of his life. Cheney toured with a company that stopped in Oklahoma City, and he met his wife, Frances Cleveland Crichton, who joined him as a singer there. She went by the name Cleva. Cleva was asked to continue when the troupe left town, and this helped the couple to grow their love. Cleva eventually became pregnant with her son, and she gave birth in February of 1906, on a cold winter day. He was premature, but survived, and they named him Creighton Tall Cheney. We all know him better today as Lon Cheney Jr., Lon decided he needed a real job to support his family, so he worked various trade jobs. But the stage kept calling him, and so Lon and Cleva began touring again, and they took Crichton with them. They eventually settled in California, and Cheney worked as a stage manager, choreographer, and actor. Things got very strained in the marriage as Cleva worked as a cabaret singer. The couple fought often, and everything came to a head in 1913 when Cleva went to the Majestic Theater where Lon was working, and after getting his attention... She proceeded to swallow a vial of poison. So she not only wanted to try to kill herself, she wanted to do it in a dramatic way. She wanted to make sure that he saw what she was doing. She was rushed to the hospital and survived, but her vocal cords were severely damaged and her singing career came to an end. 
This was also the breaking point for Lon, and he petitioned for a divorce. He was done with the fighting. He was done with her alcoholism. He just couldn't handle it anymore, so he was out. Now, while this affected her singing career, obviously, because her vocal cords were damaged, one would think this wouldn't affect Lon Chaney's career, but it did. Think about the time we're back in the early 1900s, and this kind of drama was not wanted. So they said, you know what? We're done. Sorry, your stage career is over. Nobody would employ him in any place after that. Silent films were starting to take off, and he turned his sights to those because he really didn't have any other option and he wanted to keep on acting. This was an amazing decision, and he would find lifelong fame. While he was on the stage, not many people heard about him or knew anything about him, but boy, is that going to change. He took on over 150 roles in a film career that lasted from 1913 to 1930. And when you ask somebody how many films he was in, it's really hard for anybody to pinpoint a number because while there's the movies that everybody knows that he definitely was in, for years before he got well-known, he worked as an extra. So he might have appeared in hundreds of more films than he ever has been credited with because he was either uncredited or people just didn't know those films so they don't go back and find out that he was in them. Of course, there was no IMDb back then. He started with Universal Pictures, and by 1918, he had made 100 films for them. Lon decided it was time he got a raise, and Universal stupidly, stupidly refused. So he set off to be a freelance actor. This would be another good move as he started taking on roles that brought him critical acclaim. One of those roles was as the Frog, who was a con man that pretends to be crippled and then miraculously healed in George Lone Tucker's The Miracle Man. It was not just Cheney's acting that brought him this kind of acclaim. It was his ability at makeup and physical contortion that made him unique. Lon became the man of a thousand faces. He literally suffered for his art. In the 1920 movie The Penalty, he wore a harness in which he inserted his knees with his legs brought up and tied up against the back of his thighs. This was quite painful and broke blood vessels in his legs. He actually collapsed several times while on set. For The Hunchback of Notre Dame in 1923, he created a harness that looked like a large hump, and the contraption weighed over 50 pounds. There are some who claim that it was actually around 70 pounds. Imagine carrying that on your back while you're contorting your body. This twisted his body, so much of the pain he portrayed was actually real. MGM Studios offered him a bunch of contracts starting in 1924. He returned to Universal Pictures in 1925 for his most famous role as Eric in The Phantom of the Opera. Chaney devised a ghastly makeup for the part, and the studio kept the look a secret until the film's premiere. I don't know how many of you have read the original work, but the description of The Phantom in that had surprised me because I'd seen Phantom of the Opera, according to Andrew Lloyd Webber, up on the stage before. I'm sure most of you have seen something like that or seen the movie. And the Phantom in that is quite different than in the actual work that all these films and stage plays have been based on. The Phantom that Cheney depicted is very similar to that of the novel. Cheney said, In the Phantom of the Opera, people exclaimed at my weird makeup. I achieved the death's head of that role without wearing a mask. It was the use of paints in the right shades in the right places, not the obvious parts of the face which gave the complete illusion of horror. It's all a matter of combining paints and lights to form the right illusion. Cheney used a color illustration of the novel by Andre Castian as his model for the Phantom's appearance. He raised the contours of his cheekbones by stuffing wadding inside his cheeks. 
He used a skull cap to raise his forehead height several inches and accentuate the bald dome of the phantom skull. Pencil lines masked the join of the skull cap and exaggerated his brow lines. He then glued his ears to his head and painted his eye sockets black, adding some white highlights under his eyes for a skeletal effect. He then created a skeletal smile by attaching prongs to a set of rotting false teeth and coated his lips with grease paint. To transform his nose, Cheney applied putty to sharpen its angle and inserted two loops of wire into his nostrils. These guide wires were hidden under the putty and they pulled his nostrils upward. I can't even... (laughs) When you see the picture of the Phantom and you look at his nose and you think about the fact that he has wires hooked into that that you can't see that are pulling it back against his head. I mean, he almost looks like he's got a snout. Imagine doing that with your nose for hours and hours. This was another makeup that really made him suffer. According to cinematographer Charles Van Anger, Cheney suffered from his makeup, especially the wires, which sometimes made him bleed like hell, is what he said as a quote. Now, as I said, Universal kept this makeup a secret. They didn't put any photos out ahead of time. So when people were seeing this movie for the first time in the theater, it was the first time this was seen. And again, think about the time. We're back in these early 1900s. People are not used to seeing some of these horrific kinds of images. And then you think they're seeing that phantom makeup for the first time. There were some audience members that fainted when they saw that phantom for the first time. And that's one of the things that I just adore about Lon Chaney and makes him one of the icons of horror is that he was able to do these miraculous things with makeup long before other people were doing those kinds of things. When Pocky started taking over the film industry, Lon resisted because he felt he was best at pantomime and makeup. Charlie Chaplin had felt the same way, although he eventually did well in the talkies. Chaney would make only one talkie before he died, and that was in 1930 and the film was a remake of 1925's The Unholy Three. Many actors had a hard time making the switch, but Lon proved he could. His character was a ventriloquist named Echo, and he used five different voices in the movie. Cheney's career would end after this because he had lung cancer, and within two months he had died from a throat hemorrhage. And what I read about that is that they used cornflakes for snow in the movie, and that some of this cornflake material got lodged in his throat and got infected. And that's why he ended up having the hemorrhage and he already was having an issue with pneumonia. He's got lung cancer in there. I mean, it was just, he was kind of a sitting duck. He died on August 26, 1930, and he was buried in an unmarked crypt in Forest Lawn Memorial Park Cemetery in Glendale, California. And a lot of people find that unusual. Why in the world would he be in an unmarked crypt? Well, one thing about Lon Chaney is he really did love to act. He didn't care about the fame at all. As a matter of fact, he didn't like being famous. He was a very private man. And so for him and his death, this kind of reflects the fact that he just wanted to be himself. He wanted to be kind of an unknown person in that way. So he didn't want to have his crypt marked. The world mourned his loss and MGM Studios even shut down production to observe a moment of silence for him. Cheney's spirit seems to have continued in the afterlife, however. One place where Lon Chaney's ghost was seen was on a bench that was dedicated to him. Councilman Norris Nelson placed an ornamental iron bench on the northeast corner of Hollywood and Vine in 1927 that was engraved at the top with Lon Chaney's bench. The bench sat on this spot for 15 years. The story behind it was shared by Nelson. 
Lon Chaney used to sit on that bench and wait for a bus when he was an extra boy. When he became a star, he used to drive by it and pick up poor devils who were still extras. After he died, his ghost was reported seen sitting on the bench, and finally a spot was reserved for the ghost and nobody ever sat in it. Then the bench just disappeared in 1942. It was replaced by another bench advertising cigars that sold for two for five cents. The councilman declared that no self-respecting ghost would sit on such a bench. I want my bench put back. The bench was never returned, and Cheney's spirit was never seen here again. So boy, did they blow it. We could have had Lon Cheney still hanging around on a bench, but they just had to advertise their cigars. And this actually was the start for L.A. having a bunch of these benches everywhere that were advertising things then. Another place where Cheney's restless spirit seemed to be was Stage 28 at Universal Studios in Los Angeles. This is the only stage to have never been struck in Hollywood history, although it was finally demolished in 2014. That stage was famously known as the Phantom Stage because the Phantom of the Opera starring Cheney was filmed there. It was built with steel girders and concrete, which is why it was left. I had read that they were trying to save the set, but I'm unsure if they did and where it was moved to because there was a lot of outrage that they were going to get rid of the Stage 28 especially for the reason because Universal Studios wanted to expand the theme park and wanted to put a ride in this place. So you can imagine this wonderful Hollywood history that's sitting right there. They decided they wanted to demolish it. Well, people were like, well, at least let's save the stage that's inside the set piece. And so they did. All I know about it is that it was put in storage. I don't know if it's still there, if they finally put it on display somewhere. If any of you have heard anything about it, I would love to know more details. Employees and visitors claimed to see an apparition that looked exactly like Lon Chaney, and he was usually wearing a black cape. He was not only seen on stage, but often on the catwalks. Lights would go on and off on their own, and doors would slam when nobody was on the stage. This had been reported by security guards, and many of them hated to walk through stage 28 when it was dark. There were also disembodied whispers heard on the stage when nobody was there. And I believe I heard an electrician fell to his death from one of the catwalks back in the... 1940s or something. So crazy things happening there. So this was demolished. So two of the places where Cheney's ghost was haunting no longer exist. And we haven't really heard about any more sightings of him since. So again, boy, did they blow it. Is the spirit of Lon Cheney still here in the afterlife? As I said, it's hard to say since the bench in stage 28 no longer exists, but I have no doubt that he could be somewhere else. But that is for you to decide. Thanks so much for tuning into this bonus cast. Thanks so much for your support of the podcast. I've been your host, Diane. You take care now. Bye-bye.